0: G'day and welcome to the show, my name is Jacob Andre, this is the Mind Your Body podcast and today I'd like to welcome to the show, Katie Kirk, so Katie, welcome.
1: Thanks so much Andre, it's good to be a part of, or Jacob, (laughs) I called you Andre, Um, good to be a part of Mind Your Body.
0: It's funny that you said that, I get that all the time and I actually, because you've got a background in mindset and all that sort of stuff and NLP, um, Neuro Linguistic Programming, it's funny how so many people do call me Andre. Like people who have known me for years that will send me an email and say, hey, Andre, is that because of the proximal distal type learning thing where Andre comes last and that's what's in their mind? I think so. And
1: I think it's also, Jacob, because the way you say when you when you say your name, like Jacob Andre, like no. it ends on a high. So it's like the Andre's the – and it's quite a um, – um, it's a bit of an exotic name, I think, as well. <laughs> it's got a French connotation to it, I think.
0: <laughs> well, my dad always told me as a, as I was growing up to tell everyone that it was French, but um, it's actually German, so it uh, <laughs> goes way back to the 1700s, yeah. whilst they yeah. tracked it. but uh, yeah. So this is not about me. This is about you, Katie. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Oh, well, where do I start? Um, I guess the place I'm going to start is that I'm a a Northern Territorian through and through. Um, I was born and grew up in Alice Springs, um, in the Red Heart in the early or actually the mid to late sixties. And, um, you can imagine back then it was a pretty teeny tiny town. And in my early twenties, I moved to the, what I perceived to be the big smoke of Darwin. Um, so have spent, um, most of my 50 years in the Northern Territory. Um, and I'm very, and I, I think sometimes this word gets overused about being passionate, but um, my field of work that I do, that I've, as you know, um, Jacob, I was in the fitness industry for 30 years and I owned um, gyms and managed gyms and all of those sorts of things, but the more I um, became I guess, involved in the industry itself, the more I became fascinated about people's minds uh, and the power of the mind as opposed to the shape of their bodies. Um, so I started to explore human behaviour. And um, a lot of that, as you said before, you know, NLP, and um, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, but I, I, for years I've just been driven to particularly help women and young women um, have increased health, meaning mental and emotional health and physical health and happiness and confidence. And that's what floats my boat, so to speak. Um, I'm a great believer as well that, you know, like the Dalai Lama says, that women are going to be the change that we want to see in the world. Um, And not that I don't feel that programs for men aren't important either, but um, I... Pretty much hell bent on de- developing programs for women.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny how so many people in the fitness industry become intrigued by the mindset. Yeah. Do you have any theories on that?
1: I think when we're dealing with people like as personal trainers and in fitness classes and boot camps, etc. Uh, well, I know for the decade that I um, owned. Rural rural Results, which was the gym that I built and owned for a decade. People confide in personal trainers a lot, Jacob, and you would see this. Um, And I think when we're in regular contact with people, you know, even in the gym situation almost on a daily or a second, every second day basis, you get to know them pretty well and it can be a very trusted relationship. And therefore, um, people will confide. And even if they're not confiding, by nature of uh, the amount of time spent one-on-one with people, it can be quite intuitive knowing that perhaps they're not in a good place or that something's going on for them or that something's changed. And, I mean, I know I, I entered the fitness industry because I wanted to help people get fit. Well, then, of course, it just took to another level and I wanted want to help people be mentally strong and emotionally well and the body and the mind are one system so i think if we're fascinated with the body we have to ultimately then become fascinated with its partner which is the mind
0: Mm, yeah very interesting so let's take it right back to you mentioned that you grew up in alice springs what was it like growing up in the center of the the country
1: oh gosh um it wasn't very glamorous (laughs) (laughs) it was it was quite tough um and as a kid at school, I remember in high school having to be quite tough. There was, you know, I remember the first time I was ever bashed up. I was 12 and I was bashed up by a, a group of 13 people. Um, and even in the school environment, um, there was a lot of fights um, and a lot of aggression. And, yeah, so you, I grew up having to be a bit tough in that way and physically as well you know faking that not that i like the saying fake it till you make it (laughs) i really don't because i don't like fake at all um but at school we certainly um had to fake it that's for sure um but i grew up in alice because my dad was one of the first doctors in alice springs so that's in the early 60s so you can imagine what you know the hospital back then was essentially tin sheds, and um, you know, there were two separate sort of hospital wards. One for, literally, it was labelled one for the natives and one for the white people, um, which is pretty sad. But it's in our, you know, it's in our my lifetime. It's in our lifetime that that was happening. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't. In hindsight, though, Jacob, I don't see it as a hard upbringing when I was living it. Um, but now, on reflection, um, when I, you know, you know, how other people um, have potentially grown up, I've gone, wow, that was a, it was a tough place to grow up in. During my childhood, I didn't feel that. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued by. Well, first of all, it's so interesting um, and sad that it's just as recent as the 60s that you talk about with. You know the segregation in hospitals between blacks and whites um in australia for want of a better term because that's simply what it would have been called back then um did, did you as a child did you sort of recognize that did you see see that or were you just or were you oblivious as a child
1: oh absolutely oblivious growing up i didn't see color i, I just didn't you know growing up in alice as a kid where um Back in the early days, it was so normal to have a, our one of our best friends with a McAdam family. I grew up with all the McAdam kids. Um, they were always in our pool. We were over their house. And then another family that we grew up with as kids were um, an Indian family. You know, and we, we just did, we didn't grow up seeing colour, Jacob, which is... Um, yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. In my latter years, I actually went on a Rotary Exchange and funnily enough, I went to South Africa, probably not uh, the ideal country for a kid who's grown up in Alice Springs to go to somewhere which was um, had only just come out of apartheid. Um, but I used to, as a Rotary Exchange student, I used to give slide presentations of my life back home in Alice Springs and one of the slides was of um, a group of my friends, and um, Gilbert McAdam and I were hugging each other. And I was asked to take that slide out of my presentation in South Africa. Um, So you know, I, I don't know how to describe the difference between those two experiences. I mean, I didn't take the slide out, so you know, I refused to. And did get the hint from the Rotary Club that they might like me to leave the country early <laughs> mm-hmm. but from a value base where um, people are people no matter what their age color um, religion, cultural background um, yeah and my and my dad was quite amazing he was really instrumental in Decreasing the decreasing the infant mortality rate of Aboriginal babies. Um, him and a, a, a chemist called Andy Barr actually, um, without very much permission at all, changed the ingredients of the intravenous drip to include potassium, um, which was considered to be infedig because potassium could supposedly lead to renal failure well my dad was well i don't actually care about renal failure i want to save these um newborn babies lives because they were uh, gastroenteritis was just so severe um and yeah the mortality rate was insane and horrific anyway so they um changed the ingredients to the drip and were the survival rate uh, i can't remember the percentages dad's written a book about it but increased greatly and um, it was only a couple of years later that the World Health Organisation actually changed the ingredients of their drip um, to be very, very similar to what um, my dad and Andy Barr had done. Yeah, and dad actually got an Order of Australia Award for for his work in, in Aboriginal health. Um, so, yeah, it remains to be something that, um, I guess... It's like father, a little bit like daughter. So (laughs) I'm very passionate about health, but now more so the mental and, like I said earlier, emotional health um, of anyone that I come across
0: or work with. Yeah. Do you know the name of that book that your dad wrote?
1: Uh, It's called Off the Beaten Track, actually. Um, Actually, I can probably... I'm sure it's off the beaten track. Anyway, I'll get back to you on that. I'm pulling it out of my bookshelf right now. Yeah, off the beaten track. Health services in Central Australia, 1965 to 1985. And it's got a lot of history in there. Quite amazing, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of it quite confronting too, Jacob, I have to say. Like from, you know, the difference between the way people were treated um, which is not something you know, I I grew up in a family that, yeah, people are people. And, and Dad was one of the first, or in many remote communities, he was the first white man seen, um, you know, back in the mid-60s because he would go out
0: to really re- remote locations.
1: So, so yeah.
0: Hmm. Did you have any brothers and sisters?
1: I've got an older sister um, and... Yeah, we we were pretty close. We fought like cat and dog, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> a few fisticuffs there. Um, yeah, so you know, childhood in in Alice Springs. In in hindsight, there are sometimes I actually wish though that I'd had the opportunity to go to boarding school, um, just to have had more of a uh, academic education. Uh, I know that Alice Springs High School. Um, Back then, and um, other people may have had different experiences of it. But say, for example, I remember having the same maths teacher for three years in a row. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hope he's not listening, but he wasn't <laughs> the greatest maths teacher.
0: Maths <laughs> is a hard one. Eh? i struggled big time with maths. I'll tell oh. you tell you a little story just quickly about maths. So I. The last mass I did was year 10 and that was general mathematics and was pretty much just adding up a shopping docket. And I then we didn't have to choose it in grade 11 and 12 so I of course didn't choose it because I didn't like it. And then I uh, decided to go off to university and do a double degree in sports science and teaching. And uh, in your first year unit was the mass because you needed the mass for the sports science degree. And um, so I went away and failed the mass because obviously it was just way too above where my level was. The next year I had to go and do a, um, a bridging mass, so I, uh, I did the bridging mass and I failed the bridging mass and then I got a letter from the university saying, you can't do it again, you need to have a year off, you're not allowed to fail two times in a row. So it was their policy that if you failed a subject or, you know, it was essentially the same subject, I'd gone back a level, um, that you couldn't do it the next year and it was to prevent you from just spending money over and over and over again and oh. um, not getting anywhere and so, you know, so my conversation in my own head and even still today i struggle with it i've changed a lot but is that i'm no good at math and um and then you know when i at the same time though there's certain aspects of math which i really enjoy i'm really really good at remembering numbers give me a number plate or a phone number and i will remember it but come to um to learning mathematical concepts you know for example algebra and i just sucked at it and uh yes and i Ended up, um, in the end, actually, funny side note to that is that the university changed. Mass was a core unit. And the university changed the fact that mass was a core unit and you no longer had to do it as part of the degree. So all I had to do was pick up a different um, uh, level one unit with first year unit. I did microbiology, scored a distinction, really loved the lecturer and um, have never had to worry about mass ever again. So, (laughs) but... yeah, the reason why I say that is because the lecturer that we had at the uni, I, it was just chalk and cheese between the way she taught maths and not getting it. And then, for example, because the maths was, under, was supposed to underpin the physics, we went on to do the physics and I got a distinction for the physics as well. And I put it all down to the quality of the lecturer or the teacher. Mm.
1: Well, it's really interesting what you've just said. There's a few things in there, Jacob. <laughs> and it's the first one... Um, is I really commend you on your perseverance. Um, It's something that um, is, I I think, resilience and the capacity to get back up and to keep moving forward with what we believe in or what we want to achieve when things go wrong, (laughs) because things do go wrong. I I really commend you on that. Um, It's something that with the young girls uh, that I work with, is a lot about resilience, you know, and the fact that crap happens in life and it happens to everybody. And it's not the crap that matters, it's how we respond to it yeah. and what we do with it, yeah. But also, um, I love that you've then touched on that you believed, that belief that you said, I am no good at maths. And another one of the um, greatest things in that I teach and really support people wi- with is that whatever we believe to be true is true. And it's like if, if, as a kid, you believe Santa Claus is true, well, it's true, Um And we attract evidence or we we look for evidence that if I believe I'm no good at maths, I'm going to look for evidence to show me that that's true. Because there's something called um, uh, cognitive dissonance, which is almost when we're lying to ourselves. So if I say, oh, gosh, I'm fat, and then I look in the mirror and I'm seeing myself and I go, oh, gosh, I'm I'm looking um, really fit and lean, okay, then I'm almost saying I'm saying the opposite so that I'm actually lying to myself if that makes sense so if you have a belief that I'm no good at maths then you're going to create the reality around that it's like I when I'm working with the girls and women and it's like okay think about what your beliefs are and literally reframe them and choose to to have a list of other beliefs like I am enough because the wor- words I am put together are the two most powerful words in the English language because it becomes an internal locus of control. It becomes our identity. It's like when people would say, oh, so what do you do, Katie? I'd say, I am an aerobics instructor. You know, so it's, it's the identity that we carry. But same with if I say, I am anorexic or I am depressed or I am stupid, then we internalise it and it becomes our identity of who we are, so, so powerful as opposed to I am enough, I am important, I am beautiful, I am strong, I am empowered. Um, yeah, because I used to have that one as well, like yeah. the, about the maths one, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and at
1: least I laugh at it now. And it, it, so much of what we believe to be true as well about ourselves comes from our imprint years, which is our zero to seven years. And then, you know, I was, was sitting here the other night doing a whole lot of sort of bookwork, work um, which I absolutely can't stand mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was that whole thing of well I'm no good at this I've so long I've believed that I'm no good at things to do with maths as well and I thought well you know what I'm not going to let the belief that I created in my teens that I'm no good at maths dictate me now as a 50 year old woman mm. <laughs> so I sat there and smashed through the paperwork and the bookwork. yeah so I just I love that, um, the depth of that and how much meaning what we believe has.
0: Yeah, well, I actually ended up, um, and it was more out of just, I, like I just like to challenge myself and um, knowing that, or feeling like I sucked so badly at mass and believing that I was no good at it, even though I was getting these um, conflicting uh, stories in my life show up where, well, how come, you know, you're so good at remembering numbers that's that's a form of mass kind of it's, mm. it's about memory but it's still numbers um you just can't put them together and i'd always felt like it was trying to climb a ladder when the middle rungs were missing and it's very hard to get just say you've got 10 rungs on a ladder and the middle you know so you got one two three and then you're missing the next four and then you've got the next three how do you get from the third to the seventh rung when there's mm. nothing in between it, it just felt like it's possible but it's either to me in my head the way i picture it is you either go back and you build the ladder again and you put those rungs in or you just take a big leap and i, I think you, that's probably possible um that you can skip stages of some learning uh depending on what it is
1: Oh definitely because who needs algebra to be able to do <laughs> do the book work <laughs> yeah. you know so it's different components but when you also talked about the lecturer that um, you you found more inspiring or was a great lecturer there's actually a behavioral profile that's called an um, it's it's the I teach profile and it's in a I use a profiling tool called Extended Disk and it's two, it's a combination of two of the profiles, which is the person who knows a lot of detail, okay, so has a, a great deal of knowledge. Is Some people would call them anal. Some people would call them to be a bit like a professor. Some comp- people would call them like a, a computer, like a computer. That's the, the, they've got that knowledge. But on the flip side, they also have... A lot of, in their personality, which I always call the engine mount of the motor, which and that's the motor is the mind and the engine mount is what it sits on, so it sits on our personality. Um, The other part of the personality is to be an extrovert and fun and I always joke and say, yes, imagine the physics teacher that knows the physics but can actually make learning fun and experiential. So I'll bet that's what your uh, lecturer was.
0: Yeah, and there was actually um, a math teacher at a school I worked at, Sanderson Middle School. His name was Mark Limidge. And he, he, I, I think it was actually him, I was teaching there, I was a PE teacher, and he was just so inspired. He loved math so much, and he was just so good at teaching it. I'm sure his knowledge of the content was phenomenal. but. You know, there's so many people, like you said, and this lecturer, this math lecturer lecturer for me is an example, that just know math so deeply and they love it, but they're just not good at transferring that knowledge to other mm. people and mm. allowing them to learn in their way. And this Mark Limage, he was just unbelievable at not only making you realize that you could learn, not teach you how to learn it, but he just made it so fun and then all of a sudden it became like it was weird like I just wanted to go and keep learning more maths and um, he's moved down to Perth now and it's just phenomenal his ability to be able to to teach maths and make it fun I just didn't think that was possible
1: I think teaching there's an art to teaching and um, there's something in, in NLP which is called we recall what we've learnt in the same state in which we've learnt it so when when we're learning something and it's fun, when we recall the information as well, it's fun. And I do think that that's something uh, missing in the education system: <laughs> is having more fun with learning and for it to be more experiential. Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember in classes being told off when we were having fun or when we were laughing and and things like that. But and let's face it, some people also just have a passion to teach. It's One of the things that I love doing what I do, I used to have a passion for teaching fitness and now I have a passion for teaching, helping people to understand their own minds and why they do what they do and why they don't do what they don't do and for helping them to understand the power of their unconscious mind, the power of language, the power of the voice inside their head and all of that. And it's so, um, oh, it's such a privilege and an honour to see when people um, embrace new concepts or create change in their life because of what, what they've learnt and applied to their lives, not just learnt. So it's not just intellectual knowledge, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, fun is, um, it's funny because I've just been talking about fun a lot this week and uh, it's just so important to to be successful, I think, at anything and to learn. Fun is just such a vital component and it's so often disregarded oh one of the
1: one of the things I do in my seven week program for women is at the beginning of it I've got something like like a life balance wheel but i've I've contextualized it and it's um a lot more comprehensive one of the dimensions is play <laughs> so one of the questions or what one of the things that I ask the women to to grade or to measure on a scale of zero to ten zero being crap and ten being absolutely couldn't be better you know amazing is the play in their life which is fun um, which is when they're actually doing something that they want to do just because they enjoy it not because they are obliged to not because it's fun for somebody else but where and when they're completely immersed in something that they're enjoying and it is quite confronting because I would say that probably over the years, I would have observed probably 80% of um, people in my programs rating play right down. But if you think about it, it's what we, we get absorbed in as kids. And I think one of the things, one of the reasons for this, um, probably the change as people get older, Jacob, is that I think at some point we can stop taking ourselves lightly. And when we stop taking ourselves lightly, we take life so much more seriously and then don't stop to see the fun in things, if that makes sense, or even to be able to laugh at ourselves even more when we're taking ourselves too
0: seriously. Yeah. And so well, tell us a bit about that program then and your experiences with that
1: um, well, the program I developed, um, gosh, I think it was seven or eight years ago now. And I was actually working at Northern Territory Police at the time. So I had went the gym for a decade. Um, and, I mean, I, I still remember the day I made up my mind to own a gym. I was actually in Perth because I'd spent a couple of years trying to find myself or try to run away from myself, so to speak, but I kept finding me. So in Alice, I I remember moving to Sydney for uh, nine months and then I went back to Alice uh, because I was broke (laughs) and I could always get a fairly decent job in Alice and then stayed working there for a while, then had a broken heart. So ran away from that and moved to Perth. And in my teens, I'd always had quite significant body image issues. So I was always dieting and um, my weight was... Um, up and down like a yo-yo, and i I've been almost a size sixteen and I've also been almost a size four. Um, anyway, I was at almost my biggest and I was in Perth and I was at a, an aerobics class, having hid behind all of the pot plants to get in there, felt like I was the only unco person in the room. you know I'm great binding left and everyone else is great binding right. and of course I've in my head I was the biggest person there and everyone else was beautiful and I wasn't. Anyway, we're on all fours doing that leg up in the air for your butt cheek exercise. Mm. And Now we know that squats are a lot better. But anyway, Mm. the aerobics instructor at the front is doing it. She's going, oh, and we're doing four more, three more, two more, and again because I ate too much on the weekend and I'm feeling fat. And there she was, this tiny size eight. And then and there I was face planting the dirty carpet and I just thought to myself, oh, my God. One day, I am going to own a gym where people of any age, any shape, any colour, any background feel comfortable and feel welcome. Um, so that was the first part of the journey about the seven-week program, um, Jacob. So after I, so I, I did that, and then of course I'd moved to Darwin, um, had the gym, very focused on. Uh, bodies and fitness etc and then became so much more interested in um, mental strength and emotional well-being and happened to be working at Northern Territory Police for six years as their physical trainer um, with all the recruits at the college Um, so trained police recruit squads probably three squads four squads every every 12 months and at that time, I, I was also studying. So I was studying human behavior. And I, I wanted to put together a program for women like me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put together a program that encapsulated the whole person and that helped um, helped people, help women understand themselves more, but even more importantly I wanted to create a program that helped women love themselves love their bodies and love their lives no matter what they have or haven't done no matter what they've experienced no matter what difficulties they've had no matter what um, you know amazing things they've had but to 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 deeply honor ourselves and to love ourselves and one of the things I'm I I'm often saying is that you know we we are the only person we go to bed with every night and the only person we wake up with every morning and we're the only person that we spend every second of in our whole entire life and it's important that we become our own best friend but unfortunately (laughs) um, with social media with expectations with um, the society the way it is you know we we often people often just simply don't feel good enough And I guess I started off by developing the program to go, well, I actually want to understand me more. I want to understand why I'm actually not happy and why I'm in my 30s and still critical of myself and still critical of what I see in the mirror and why I'm hard on myself. Um, And, yeah, that's how the program evolves. So the program has in it... Fitness. It has in it uh, nutrition, certainly has in it a diet-free philosophy, given my experiences with dieting. But it's also um, very much about learning what makes you tick and what makes you talk. Um, you know, we, we know that our mind is the most powerful thing, but we don't learn about how our mind works um, in school. We're busy learning... Um, <laughs> algebra (laughs) or physics (laughs) and um, to know how our mind ticks and um, how we delete and distort and generalize things and how we create our own reality and how whatever we perceive to be true is true but then learn the tools to create the change um, is is so empowering and the women who uh, do the seven-week intensive because also in the seven-week intensive there's um, personal coaching as well, personal transformational coaching um, to help people create change, change habits, overcome um, past difficulties, um, even and even to help them make decisions about future choices. Um, so, you know, now we've had oh, well over a thousand women do the program. Wow. Even, yeah, even had women from Mongolia do it because we've got an online version as well. Um, and... Yeah, it it changes lives, Jacob, it really does and sometimes it's interesting, someone said to me the other day, oh gosh, I was sitting around a table and someone said something about you know, that Art Your Life program, the one for women with issues and this woman piped up and she piped up at the table and she said, oh well, I'm one of those women with issues because I've actually done the program. And someone at the table said to her, why on earth would you do a program like that? You know, you've got it together. And um, this this woman, I'll just call her Mary, she said, well, it's not about whether you've got issues or whether you don't have issues. You know, it's about nurturing. She said, I did it so that I could develop myself more, become even more self-aware, become more mindful. And basically, I wanted to do a service (laughs) of Mm. my mind, which is my motor and do a check-in, you know, we go and do a check-up at the doctors and things like that. But, you know, are we doing a check-in of how we feel and who we are as people and of what we actually want for ourselves in life? And I I, I think it's key and it's fundamental. And without fail, just about every woman who's done the adults program has said to me, oh, my God, Katie, I wish I'd have learnt these things as a teenager, which is why I then created um, the program for teenage girls that's sort of mirrored on the adults program.
0: Yeah. So I just want to confirm the seven-day program is called the Art Your Life program.
1: Um, it's a seven-week program. 7 weeks, sorry, yeah. Yeah, and it, it is called, art, it's called the Art Your Life seven-week intensive. And the word art, mm. <laughs> it's a bit misleading because it's not about finger painting. <laughs> it's because it's the acronym for A is for activate. R is for reshape and T is for transform because I believe that for us to live, to love ourselves or to live life um, motivated, happy, inspired, fulfilled and purposeful, well, we need to activate our own selves. We need to activate what we want. We need to activate our own self-awareness and our mindfulness and be living um, uh, mindfully conscious lives. Yeah, so that we're actually, I, I use an analogy in our life, so I just call it so that we're actually driving our own bus. Um, so it's about activating it and then doing something about it. But, and the, the R for reshape is to do that, we often need to reshape the way we think, the patterns that we've created in our own thinking, those patterns that start in the zero to seven years, those belief systems that we build, um, many of which are societal constructs, not just our own. Um, So often we need to reshape our thinking and what we believe and how we feel, uh, because often that's in automatic pilot. We don't even realise that, well, God, I'm thinking that I I suck at maths and I'm still thinking that and believing that even when I'm 50. And is that true? So it's reshaping our, our, our thinking and our believing and our way we feel to transform the relationship that we have with ourselves and our bodies and our lives.
0: Yeah, so tell me, you just mentioned a little bit earlier about the online program. Tell me about that. Well, it's it's exactly the same content
1: as the face-to-face program. Um, it's just that what I've done is I've recorded seven modules um, direct to camera. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's same content, just makes it available for anyone anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, I... <laughs> I've had a go at doing some online stuff. Do you want to talk about how difficult did you find that to have to – was it difficult to put all that stuff together? It takes a fair bit of time, doesn't it, to film those videos and stuff.
1: Oh, It's from a business perspective, Jacob. It is a huge investment, not just in time but in getting things videoed and getting the – um, everything technical that has to go behind the scenes, you know, the membership site for it to be uploaded onto, the, how it needs to be um, downloaded and technical support for people who are doing it. But that's just sort of the detail, I guess. But I loved recording it. So I was really comfortable in front of the camera just talking direct to the camera about the content and, um, I could talk about the content <laughs> mm. all day, every day till the cows come home. I love layering concepts about human behaviour and because I actually don't believe that we are our behaviour. Yeah, I, I I know that sounds a bit convoluted, but people judge themselves and they judge others on somebody's on their behaviour. Like you'll see people who'll turn their nose up at um, like even say, for example, walking past a cafe and some people are sitting there smoking and the friend you're walking with might go, oh, I can't believe they're smoking, but but they're judging someone on an external behaviour. And what I always say is that people are not their behaviour. People are actually their intent. They're the person that they are. Because, oh, I, God, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone criticise themselves for something they do or something they don't do. It could be you know, something they eat habit that they've got and they beat themselves up about it and I just say to them look it's a behavior it's not who you are I'm not saying that let's I'm not saying let's keep the behavior going yes let's help change the behavior but let's not beat up the person meaning yourself because of an external behavior if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah so why do you think so many people are critical of themselves
1: well, from a from a human brain perspective, we are pretty much still wired as cavemen. Uh, not very much of our brain has changed since cavemen days. Now, I just remember it, it. Our frontal lobe has changed, and I think it's the left-hand side of our frontal lobe that has evolved over time. The rest of our brain is pretty much the same, particularly our reptilian brain or our lizard brain, which is the one that reacts and the one that has the, um, the fear mechanism in it, you know, the fight, flight or freeze. Because if we go back to caveman days, it was all about survival, survival of the fittest. You had to be aware constantly. You know, there's a rustle in the trees and all that could be a saber-toothed tiger. So we're wired to... Our brain is wired... To be on constantly also our bright brain is wired to look for danger to look for obstacles so our brain is also wired then to so that that's critical okay that's the critical brain so our brains are also uh, wired to look for danger and look look for fault so to speak and unfortunately we innately can internalize this too much um, or some people will externalise it and just be fault finders with other people, and just be you know, negative and critical, etc. Um, but once we understand this and know that that's something that we can do, it's why you know, it's now people have internalised fear to be you know, the three greatest fears that we have: is fear of not being good enough, fear of not belonging, and fear of not being loved. Um, and people are often looking for ways in which those things are true
0: yeah yeah so how long has it been since you've been i think you said it earlier but how long has it been since you've been running the Art your life program um seven years yeah and how lo- much of that has been online
1: um i think probably well i mm, i can't remember the number who have done it online and the amount done face to face Um, so I think probably a couple of hundred women have done it online, and that's across Australia. Um, yeah.
0: And did that come about because you had people inquiring about it from outside of where you are running it?
1: Yes. So I had people inquiring who didn't live in Darwin, who were saying, Katie, I want to do the program. How can I do the program? Because they were hearing about the results that people were getting. So I just went, okay, must be time to do something online. So I've ventured into that, which was a huge learning curve. But what I love most out of everything, Jacob, is that for every woman or any company that's ever put any of their teams through any of my programs... I've always taken 10% of what anyone's invested in themselves to pay for programs. I've taken 10%, and over a five year period, I actually ran free programs for teenagers in the Northern Territory. Um, and I actually was able to fund and support um, over 400 girls to do the program for free, which is the teenagers' version of the adults' program. Um, Unfortunately, that's not sustainable. It's not a very good business model. Um, But I tell you what, when you see, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, a a teenage girl grasp hold of these tools and feel so much more empowered about herself and when you see her confidence grow and she starts knowing and feeling that she is more than okay, she is self-aware and she is... um, responsible and the driver of her own life it is just amazing
0: and do you run any of these programs actually inside the school system
1: no um i find the school system quite challenging it's it's quite challenging to get into the school system and um you know the last round of programs that i ran throughout the territory last year are 152 girls did the program. It was actually, thankfully, funded because I didn't have any money left, you know, and it was funded. Um, So I was able to run three programs with, you know, a total of 152 girls who did it. Um, And because I had funding, I was able to get an external company to evaluate the outcomes of the program in the three key areas that we're looking at building, and that is health, happiness and confidence. When you ask any parent what they want for their child and they're going to say I want my child I just for Stevie my daughter I want her to be healthy I want her to be physically mentally and emotionally healthy I want her to be happy and I want her to be confident in who she is what she stands for and for her to have that um you know that level of confidence in her as a as a young woman so the company who did the evaluation they evaluated it with those three cornerstones now The cohort of 152 girls um the their improvement in health was 40 percent their improvement in happiness was 52 percent and their improvement in confidence was 63 percent now to me and even to the ceo of that company actually that company's based in melbourne he rang me once those results came in and he said look i don't know what the hell it is you're doing with this program but we've never seen results like it so it would be great, Jacob, <laughs> mm. for the program to be um, a part of the education system in some way. Um, I've lobbied, I've, I've you know, I've approached schools and you know, education, etc. Um, but I just think it's really important. And, and what I love about the teenage program too, though, is that it's based on a peer-to-peer education model. So what we've done is we've then trained girls who are Who have done the program to become co-facilitators of the program and we now employ them to help deliver the program you know so you don't get much better than that
0: no that's awesome to be able to Mm. step out and then go in and be and get a job out of it be employed that's
1: and for them you know it takes a lot of confidence to stand and facilitate a program in front of a room full of people so it's a real it's really defining for them and then in terms of building employability skills for the future, it's huge,
0: it really is. So, you're living in Melbourne, is that correct?
1: <laughs> Therein lies the question. So, two years ago, I decided to, um, one, my beautiful daughter had been down here at university for a couple of years, and um, we'd been apart for a couple of years. And I, Um, was missing her like crazy but also I was hell-bent on making both the programs national and I felt if I moved to Melbourne I would have a I would have a chance of finding either a business partner an investor or a major sponsor to help um, scale it so it can reach um, thousands more women and girls And then of course have the positive impact that we know that it has but it hasn't quite worked out like that Jacob and I'm not so sure I'm a Melbourne girl (laughs) and in actual fact since I've been in Melbourne I have generated very little very few programs here and I have continued to um, commute back to the territory um, to Alice Springs and to Darwin almost every three to four weeks over a two-year <laughs> period and um, in, I'm, I'm actually about to so essentially I've sort of been in two, two places but I'm about to um, relocate back to Darwin and then commute to Melbourne when necessary yeah if that makes sense
0: yeah you yeah. certainly travelled yeah. around a lot going from Alice Springs to Perth to Darwin to, to Melbourne
1: yeah Yeah, I know. But the Territory's home. I just think... uh, And also having lived really all of my life in the Territory, I hadn't anticipated such a culture shock moving to Melbourne. Um, I just thought, you know, I'm just moving to the city, but even driving, um, meeting people is a whole different story. Uh, Being somewhere where I, I didn't know people in comparison to somewhere where, you know... Obviously, I know a lot of people in Darwin and also moving to Melbourne has been a good life lesson because there's so much now I appreciate about Darwin that I think I used to take for granted.
0: Yeah, no, know. I've tried to get out. I was born and bred in Darwin, tried to get out plenty of times and every time I've tried, which has really probably only been two times that I've really tried, I just, the the roots are too, too deep and too strong and mm, it's just so hard. Mm, mm.
1: Yeah, it is. And I... Every time I go back home, it's almost like um, I just feel me again, whereas in Melbourne I, I don't feel me. So, yeah. So, anyway, it's been wonderful having two years um, you know, with with my girl again, um, but now I'll just be back in Darwin permanently and I, I've got a few things still happening. I'm still very hell-bent on seeing this program uh, grow, Jacob, and reach more people. Uh, The content of the program is so powerful and I'm also asked so often about it being available for males and young boys. So I'm in in the process of actually creating a new program um, that's got the same content but that it's um, gender neutral um, so that it's not at all female-focused, it's just... Um, The tools, the skills, and um, the content and the accountability throughout the program to help create shift for people.
0: Mm. So how do people find out more about this program? Um, Just go to
1: artyourlife.com.au. I also have another website for the Teenage Girls program, which is called Miss Art, um, or give me a call. You know, I'd, I'd often just say to people, just ring me or send me a PM via Facebook and, um, and my phone number's 0411 383 Just give me a call. Um, or also via email. It's katie, spelt with a C, C-A-T-I-E, at artyourlife.com.au.
0: And, of course, we'll link all that up in the show notes um, and on the website, it'll all be there underneath connect with Katie so people will be able to connect with you in whichever way um, they see fit, whether it's through Facebook Messenger or which I I seem to be, I think that seems to be the main way people communicate these days is not even sending a text message. Most people, do you find that? Most people will contact you through Facebook Messenger or do you still continue to get emails um, and text messages as your main source of inquiry?
1: Oh, gosh, all three. (laughs) Um, But yes, it in terms of the program i would say most of the inquiries are are via facebook messenger um, or i've also got a 1300 number Uh, but yeah very much more than email mind you my email inbox is full just like everybody else's with um (laughs) i don't know how i get on so many lists of people trying to sell things but (laughs) yeah it's huge
0: yeah tell me about it it's Mm. yeah I'm, i'm constantly um getting rid of subscriber list that i've appeared upon and i just i don't know where they keep coming from they keep ending up in my email inbox
1: (laughs) i know i know and it's like that isn't it you sort of go how did i get on this list i don't know your name i don't know who you are i don't know what you're selling delete (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah so when is the next art your life program commencing
1: well The next school holiday one for teens is
0: commencing this... Well,
1: it's actually in a little over a week. uh, And the next program in Darwin will be in February 2018. However, the online program uh, is available at any time. Um, Yeah, that can be done at any time. And I think one of the things that we do during the program, Jacob, which is why it's so successful is we really hold people accountable so it's not just here's your online program or here's your program off you go see you later um it's weekly accountability phone calls checking in on where you're at and how you're going touching base with you with checklists of have you watched this have you done that what help do you need here we have a really supportive private um facebook group um and it's really structured because I know I've signed up for online programs before. I signed up for a business one um, in January of this year. And all of the material was just sort of sent to my inbox. And I didn't even, I think I did module one. But there was no accountability. There was no hand-holding, so to speak. And I don't, I don't need hand-holding. But gosh, I, I say to women who do the program, you know, basically, if you could do it if you could do it alone, you would have already done it by now. If you could have the change that you wanted and you could do that alone, you would have already done it. And my philosophy and what I always promise is, look, we will hold your hand, we will embrace your heart, we will have your back and we'll walk beside you every step of the way. I take what we do seriously, really seriously, in terms of helping people create change.
0: A lot of online programs run an additional sort of upsell add-on um, where it's a lot more hand-holding and uh, a lot more accountability and, of course, in them you would hope that there is some accountability and hand-holding, but there's an increased amount where you might get more personal access with the main person who's running it. Is there an option like that in this program?
1: Um, well, no, because it's all included. Mm it's already all included so they already have full access to um and it I used to do it like that Jacob like I used to have two levels of the program so it would be you could do the seven week intensive um I can't remember the two names I'm just going to say bronze and gold so you could do the two levels and the bronze you'd just get the modules Or just come to the workshops and in the gold you would get the accountability calls the private Facebook group and the personal coaching and the behavioral profile okay and it became very evident in the first three programs that I ran that those people who had access to all of it and who were supported throughout were the ones who had the most incredible results now so I just decided to not give the other option as a as an option because I want people to get the best that they can have.
0: And, of course, if they do, then, you know, they get better results, then it looks better on the program as well.
1: Yeah, well, and I, d- I don't want a program that doesn't you – know, I mean, of course there are some people who potentially don't get the results that they wanted, but I can promise you they're the people who – you know, you've got to do things as well. I don't have a magic wand. <laughs> mm. That there have to be things that you have to actually do and apply to your life. But them getting, yeah, and it's really, it's really important. I think that's why the program has such a good reputation too, Jacob. And I, yeah, I, I, I only want to have programs that really help.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's so good to hear. Mm. It's, it's. Um, I was going to say refreshing, but I I feel like a lot of people who get into self help legitimately really want to help people. It's not a, I'm sure there's some out there who are just all about the money, but I, I really think that most people that go into self help, whether it's in health and fitness or in business or any other aspect, want to actually help people and. I just feel like it's in your best interest to do whatever you can to make sure that that person succeeds. And mm. um, that, and that's why I ask about, you know, because I see online programs out there and they're more in the business world where, you know, you've got those multi-levels to it where you pay a bit more and you get more sort of access to the mm. coaches and that. I,
1: I think that's just um, from a commercial perspective, it makes sound business sense, um, but that's not necessarily my main that's not my main driver either so but what we do also do is um after the seven-week program is finished um people can join what we call art your life for life um where we have two options which is a bronze option and a gold option the bronze option is the equivalent to a bottle of wine a week um and what i do is i run quarterly workshops they get a monthly um webinar and um, the master coach that I work with and I are on their, on their private Facebook group. Um, you know, we have something every Monday called Mojo Monday where people set their own goals. We have Thriving Thursday where I do reminders about um, things that we've learned and you know, are we thriving or are we surviving or are we striving, you know, what's going on. And then on a Friday, we have Feelings Friday, which is you know, about getting sort of open about how you're feeling, and we put in so so in it so for another 12 months after the program and ongoingly, we continue to provide motivation, support, encouragement, learnings to help people continue to drive their bus and be green and
0: growing. I think that's great. Uh, you know, so you've got there your seven week program which people sign up for, and and then you've got something for them to go to go on with. And from a business point of view, that's very effective, but also from the client's point of view it's it's even more effective because after seven weeks, they still need a little bit of support. And to go into a, an ongoing sort of membership like that where they continue to get that support is just so valuable, in my opinion. Mm. Well,
1: I, and I, one... I I did that because people kept saying to me, well, what are we going to do now? And also, you know, I've gone away and done things before too, Jacob, where I go, oh, God, I remember once going on a a month-long retreat. I was like, I'm going to make all these changes when I get back. So I was there for four four weeks, but the minute I no longer had structure around it, everything just went straight back to normal. Whereas in this way, um, it is that ongoing and it's not just support, I think it's also accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, come on, what are you doing? Are you sad? Have you just slipped back into some old ways of thinking? Or, but even connection, like we, we you know, have groups of women exercising, power walking, um, you know, we do quite a lot of fundraising for um, the Teenage Girls Program. That's a very um, strong and quite powerful community of women who stand by each other and support each other.
0: Yeah, and I think the fact that you've got people at the end of the program saying what now is a sign that it's a pretty bloody good program.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the program.
0: And with, and with so many online programs out there, a lot of people don't finish them. So the, the fact that you've got these people not only getting to the end of the seven weeks, so first of all, they're actually completing it, but then wanting more is a credit to you and what you've created.
1: Mm. Well, if they're not completing it, so we're running a... A group at the moment who are doing it online together and it's I, I think it's gone over the seven week mark but it doesn't matter like someone can be saying oh gosh i'm three weeks behind and i go no you're just running your own race it's okay you know we will call you again next week to say where are you at yeah because things happen in life
0: so what happens then for someone who does they get behind and mm-hmm. they keep going at their own pace, um, which is really important to recognise. Then, what happens if they get to the end of the seven weeks and they're not up to where everyone else is at? Do they get the opportunity to go through the program again? Do they still do they go into the the um, ongoing monthly stuff or? Well, how... for the
1: online for the online program, they can just have access to the online material until they've finished it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't say that's the end of the seven weeks. See you later. Too bad, so sad. I I just yeah, I can't operate like that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I put myself in the same situation, and let's say, you know, know, things have happened. Kids have been sick. I haven't been able to watch the modules. Um, Things happen in life, so. But it's the same with the seven-week live program in Darwin, and we've had women who are shift workers, say police officers, people who have commuted in from Owen Pelly, from Catherine, um, and sometimes, you know, someone will say, oh, but Katie, I'm going to be away for one of the workshops. I say, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Just watch the online module for that one workshop and the next time we run the program, just come to that workshop live. You know, there has to be flexibility because... It, it can't be prescriptive. There needs to be flexibility because people's lives are just so different and diverse.
0: Mm. Well, Katie, I want to acknowledge you for all the work that you're putting in, um, particularly into women and empowering women and and um, helping them to be less critical of themselves and to be the best that they can be. So well done. Thank you. Thank so, you. So we always finish these interviews off with 10 quick questions, 10 QQ, I might have to start calling it, and just um, words or sentences or maybe a question which I've written down as we've been going through and I just want to get your first response so you can go into as little or as much detail as you like. It might be a one word response or you might go okay. off on a tangent, <laughs> do whatever you like, but I'll read through the 10. We okay. always finish off with the same last question. Okay. All right, you ready to go? Yep. Okay. Number one, growing up in Alice Springs.
1: Tough. However, the blue skies, the red dirt and the spin effects still speak to my spirit and my soul.
0: Owning a gym.
1: Fun, stretching, long hours and very fit. (laughs) Resilience. Absolutely necessary. Fun. Oh, look, I wish there was more of it and that we could have a, a, a fun machine or something. So, yeah, vital. Giggling, laughing, um, enjoying and taking ourselves lightly. Yeah.
0: What does the Art Your Life program mean to you?
1: Oh. Um. Oh, I, I feel like... It's intertwined with my
0: life's purpose. The lizard brain.
1: I'm thinking of a crocodile. <laughs> Need to be aware of it and how it responds. It's that thing that hits send before you should hit send. Don't let it rule your life.
0: <laughs> Online programs.
1: Um Online programs, plural. Um, The jury's out on that one. I think sometimes they work and sometimes they don't um, because people need connection with real people, not just video recordings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Number eight, women. Awesome. (laughs) Number nine, Darwin. Home. And the last one, if you could go back in time, or forward in time, and that might be to an event or to meet somebody, which would you choose? Back or forward?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a good question, Jacob. Um, at this point in my life, I would go back.
0: And would that be to go to an event or to meet somebody?
1: It would be to make some different decisions. There you go. That's what it would be.
0: Oh, so back in your life. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be to make make a couple of different decisions. Actually, it would probably be to do some different learning.
0: Mm. What would that learning be?
1: Well, it would probably have been some more study in my much earlier years than my, in my latter years. Yeah. Yeah. But thinking of going forward to an event. I know, going forward to an event when um, I get to meet my first grandchild. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and would you like to, once you met them, would you want to come back to now? Knowing what, the, what they're going to, what their name is and what they're going to look like in that?
1: Yeah, I'd want to come back to now. I'm loving now. That's why I think I'm challenged to go, do I really want to go back or do I really want to go forward? Actually, because right now is, yeah, pretty much on track.
0: That's awesome. And that is a perfect way to end. So, Katie, I want to thank you for coming on to the Mind Your Body podcast, allowing us to have an hour of your time and share as open and honestly as you did. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I think your podcast is awesome. Jacob, good on you.